Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad that you're here. I would like to offer a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We're very glad that you are here, and if you have questions or comments about this faith or this congregation, please do see the knowledgeable and friendly people at the membership table and visitor table out there in the foyer, and they'll be happy to help you. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together the words by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Good morning. I'm Mary Jane Ford. I'm your lay leader today. The opening words are adapted from the words of Shoma Morita. Let nature take its course and do what you should do. We have to respect and adapt to the law of nature. To correctly understand, we have to know what the nature is. We know that there are days with full and crescent moon and sunny and cloudy days. This is nature. Before we human beings exist on earth, the earth is already present. This fact cannot be changed with willpower. Trying to control the emotional self willfully is like trying to choose a number on a thrown die or to push back the water of the Kamo River upstream. People ask, in Unitarian Universalism, are there things that hold you together? I mean, your members have practices and and beliefs and backgrounds in most of the major world religions, including humanism and neo-paganism, atheism. Uh, what holds you all together? And the answer is there are many things that hold us together. But one of the things that holds this congregation together that shows us where to put our time and our energy and our money, um, our mission statement that you all worked on, is written on the wall, and we say it together every Sunday, and we say we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Another reading adapted from the words of Shoma Morita. We go outside, outside of ourselves, and out of the house, and begin a reconnection with nature. We leave the solitude and go out of doors. We breathe the fresh air, feel the sun on our faces. We walk. We walk and breathe. We walk, breathe, and reconnect with the world of nature. This is the time in our service when we breathe deeply together into the place in our heart where we are most who we are. We practice finding a stillness 
allowing the small noises of everyday life to go on around us, focusing inward. It is in this place where we can speak to God as we understand God or listen to our inner wisdom or just breathe and be still. In practicing this, we hope to increase in compassion and strength, clarity and love. Let us now enter into the silence together. You are now invited to light candles of joy, sorrow, hope, and remembrance. Some of you all know that I spent 15 years being a pastoral counselor. I was in private practice and um, studied hard and made it up through the ranks of levels of training to now I, I'm, I got stuck at fellow, which is almost the top, but I don't do it anymore. So, And I've seen therapy do wonderful things, and I've seen therapy combined with medicine do wonderful things, and I've seen it not have much effect at all, lost my belief in it a little bit. Um. One of the things that I noticed was that we, in our training, had a great emphasis placed on insight. And once you had an insight into the history of your patterns or the reasons why you felt like this when this happened or the history of your family relationships, um, you would have insights into, oh, that's why I am the way I am. But I noticed mostly in my own personal therapy, which you have to do um, if you're going to be a therapist, I, I noticed that I could have insight after insight. I mean, I was good at insights. But uh, actual change did not necessarily follow. And then I started noticing that in my clients, too. And so I was very interested to read Dr. Morita in his... Um, uh, in a book by one of his followers, David Reynolds, called Playing Ball on Running Water. There's another one called Pools of Lodging for the Moon, which I think is a great title. Um, He said, there is a limit to the progress that can be made through insight. I thought, well, hallelujah, now I feel validated. But modern Western psychotherapy relies heavily on insight. Uh, The unconscious contents must be made conscious. You shine the light on the unconscious contents, and then you're supposed to be able to live with them better, and you can. But as Marita said, there's a limit. Um, And I'm sure it's not an either-or, but I think it's probably both. What Marita says is that um, having insights does not necessarily lead to change, and even changing your thinking doesn't necessarily lead to change, because this is where Western psychotherapy went more recently, is in cognitive psychotherapy, where you change your thinking, you change the way you think about things, um, and then 
reality changes for you or your experience of reality changes for you. And that also works somewhat. But Morita said, your reality changes most when you change what you do. Not what you think, but what you do. You change your behavior. And, um, you know, Western psychotherapy has, you know, messed around with that too. So changing your, having your insights, changing your thinking needs an extra step, which is changing your behavior. Um, What it does is build character to change your behavior, to do what needs to be done. See, it's based on Zen Buddhism, this psychotherapy method. And the Buddhists are so irritating because they say the most, um, the most profound things so simply, and yet if you say them over and over to yourself, you realize how profound they are. And one of the things that they say is, um, are you ready? And you know this already. You do what you do. Corollary, of course, is you don't do what you don't do. You do what you do. You don't do what you don't do. I've, I wrote a column about this one time about people coming up to me and saying, I, you're a writer. I'm a writer, too. I feel like I'm a writer. I have a novel inside me. I have things I want to write, things I want to say. How do I do it? And I'm like, you're not going to like the answer. Because what you have to do is you have to Sit in the chair and write. The way to write is to write. You don't wait for inspiration. You don't wait till the plants are watered. You don't wait till the house is clean. You don't wait till you have set up a beautiful $800,000 studio for your writing so you can honor that part of you that wants to be a writer. No, no, no. You sit down in whatever chair you already have and you write. Mm, It's just not very exciting, not very juicy, and yet it's very profound. You do what you do and you don't do what you don't do. So writing, I can do. I noticed it mostly when it came to matters of uh, vegetables, and yoga. See, I say I'm going to eat more vegetables. And it feels good to say that. It feels almost like you're actually doing it (laughs) when you talk about it. And yet in daily practice, if you don't do it, then you're not doing it. I used to love yoga when I was like 14. So I go, yeah, I've done yoga before, but I was 14. I'm like older than that now. So I decided I would take it up again. There's a yoga class right here at the church. How easy would that be? My yoga, the yoga teacher is sitting right here. So uh, I bought a yoga mat. That felt good. That felt like a step. But you know what? It wasn't. I see my yoga mat every day. I've still not gotten lean and flexible because just looking at the yoga mat doesn't do it. 
You do what you do, and you don't do what you don't do, and pretty soon, time's up, and you haven't ever done it. As Buddhists. So what he says is, number one, accept your feelings. You don't ignore your feelings. They're important. You enjoy your feelings or you uh, get the information from your feelings. If you're feeling in a rage all the time, probably a reason for that. There's probably information in that rage. You get the information and then you let it go. The Dalai Lama says your feelings are like a cloud going across the sun. Your anger is a cloud going across the sun. Human beings are in a bottle, he says. You don't bottle up your feelings. There's no place to bottle them. You just feel them or you let them run your life. So Morita says, acknowledge your feelings, accept your feelings, two different things. Accepting your feelings is so refreshing because you go, I shouldn't be angry. What does that mean? You're angry. You don't ever go, I shouldn't be thirsty. I just had some water. You're thirsty when you're thirsty. And you're angry when you're angry. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means there's information that keeps trying to come through. You get the information and you accept your feelings. You can try to let them go, but as Morita says, trying to, uh, trying to control the emotional being with your will is like trying to move the water in the river. You can't really do that just as an individual unless you're the Army Corps of Engineers, then they can do it. But uh, they can't do it with feelings, probably. So you can't really control your emotional being with your will. You just accept your feelings. Number two, he says, know your purpose. I hope he means know your goals or know what you'd like to do because a lot of people talk about their purpose in life. You know, I know I'm here for a reason. I'm here for a purpose, but almost nobody can figure it out. I I got a dream about it when I was 13. I feel like that was a huge gift. I know what my purpose is, at least if I go by that dream, and that's what I'm choosing to do. I know what my purpose is. I'll tell you about it sometime. Um, Or you could read all my books and try to find it. I can't remember which one it's in. But... uh, (laughs) That doesn't sound like very much fun for you. Um, I was talking to a poet one time, and she, uh, she said, I just wonder what my purpose in life is. You know, we're both in our 40s, and um, you know how sometimes you hear yourself say something, and you don't know where it came from, but it, it, it sounds really kind of alien but interesting? So I heard myself say, Nan, your purpose is none of your business. And I thought, wow, that's odd. I said, wow, that's odd. I believe I just said that, but I wonder what it might mean. I think maybe if we, if we wait to feel like we've begun our life till we can articulate what our, why we're here, then maybe we're waiting for the wrong reason, and we should just live our life because maybe sometimes we fulfill our purpose or one of our purposes by just a, just a side effect of what we're doing by living our life. And you may never know who you've touched or who you've taught something or who you've kept from walking in front of a bus just by bumping into them on the sidewalk or who who knows what you were put here for if you believe that there is an intelligence that put you here for a reason, which I kind of believe more in biology than that. But um, 
I think that you can choose a purpose. I think you can choose a theme. I think you can choose something around which to orient your life. So that's good. And you can choose it. I don't think it's really given to you from on high, although it might be given to you from that great mystery, the one soul of all things in which we move and live and have our being according to the transcendentalists. That's where it might come from. So number one, accept your feelings, he says. Number two, know your purpose. Number three, do what needs doing. Very Buddhist. Do what needs doing. Is it time for lunch? Have lunch. Are there dishes? Wash the dishes. Have you told somebody you'd do something for them? Go do it for them. I've read many places that one way to build character is to do what you say you're going to do. Because when you don't do what you say you're going to do, it makes you sick inside, kind of. It makes you feel guilty for not doing what you said you were going to do. And then you feel guilty toward that person that you said you would do it for. And then when you feel guilty toward a person, you kind of get mad at them and start avoiding them, if you can. So it, makes, it ruins your own relationship with yourself, and it ruins your relationship with them. Easier just to do what you said you would do, if you can. Now, when I talk like this, it makes me really glad that Yom Kippur is coming up. Because Yom Kippur is a time for forgiveness, and you say... If I have hurt you in any way, if I've done you wrong, I'm heartily sorry. Will you please forgive me? And most people will. Some people, you know, they're just going to go, I can't forgive you till you tell me that you know what you did. It could be that you just don't need that person in your life. I don't know. That's another sermon. But Yom Kippur is coming, and when you talk about doing what you say you're going to do, I find I'm glad for the grace of Yom Kippur, where you get to ask for forgiveness, and also the element in Yom Kippur where you ask to be released from a vow that you made that you realize you cannot keep. May I please be released from this vow? So knowing that's coming, I feel more comfortable saying, Let's do what needs to be done. Let's, let's accept our feelings. Let's, let's know our purpose. Let's do what needs to be done. And when you can't do it, we forgive ourselves and each other, and we move on. You cannot wait to start your life until you've got all this thing straightened out. So the purpose is to build character, to live well, to love well, to be a kind person, to be able to be sturdy in terrible circumstances. There are so many people in this room that are in terrible circumstances, a terrible diagnosis or financial terrors or family violence or striving to start something new and not knowing if you're going to be able to do it or not, or just facing aging and pain or facing other obstacles and difficulties, having, oh, you don't even want the whole list. It's life. Morita says, life will send you things to which you can respond. That sounds so cheerful. I, I sometimes want to pray for certain people that life would not send them anything else right now to which they can respond. There's enough. It's enough. But life is not like that. As the song said, the storm is going to come. You don't... Seeking shelter, saying, no, storm, please don't come. That's not going to happen. What you do is you try to get as strong as you can, as rooted as you can. You get a good support system if you can. You pray it works. 
and then let the storm come. This is what we're doing here. Trying to get strong, trying to get kind, trying to get compassionate. We're nourishing our own souls, and we're nourishing other people around us. We're letting our own lives be transformed, and we're trying to allow the people around us' lives to be transformed as well. And what Morita says is that lives are transformed by actions, not by thinking. One thing I love about him is that he says mistakes are part of life, if you're lucky. Unless you're suffocating yourself by being too safe, then make some mistakes, and they just teach you what works and what doesn't work. The bullseye, the Buddha said, is a result of of a thousand misses. Failure is part of success. You have to dare in order to get where you want to go. So, if you want to try this, you're welcome to. It sounds like a great way not to get stuck in your life. You walk, you breathe, you interact with nature. You do what needs to be done. You do the next thing. Salvation and meaning, he says, lie in the dailiness of life. See, I think that salvation and meaning lie in learning to love and be loved. And so I try to put these together and I try to say, what does having breakfast and washing the dishes have to do with loving and being loved? And I can see how they relate to each other. There are lots of, once you're loving someone, there are lots of doing the next thing that needs to be done for that person, for yourself, for the relationship, for the kids, for the parents, for the home. The list is almost endless. Most of you all have to-do lists that would make other people faint. So let me know if it works if you try it. You don't feel like writing, you write anyway. You don't feel like being kind, be kind anyway. You don't feel like getting out of the house, get out of the house anyway. That's what Dr. Morita says. I hope we find wisdom in many places. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.